what is God saying to you? This is really the central question of mature Christian faith. What is God saying to you? Because we believe that God is speaking at all times and through a wide variety of means to all of God's people. That's you. God is speaking to you today. And the question is, can you hear him? Do you know what God sounds like? Do you know the kinds of things that God will say to people or the kind of things that God will require of people? That, that's why we read and study the scripture, is it helps us build a personality profile for God. That's why we pray, so we get dialed in, attuned to the voice of God. Jesus in John chapter 10 said he's the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice. So, so we know, we have confidence that God's trying to get your attention. So what's he saying to you? Specifically, what is God saying to you at 11.23 on a Sunday morning that you're supposed to do or consider or act upon before, say, midnight tonight? Because how you listen and respond to the promptings, the insights, the nuances of God's Holy Spirit, that, that's really what it means to be a Christian, a person of the Christian faith committed to the way of Jesus infilled with the power of his Holy Spirit. And so I want to introduce you to a diagram that sort of encapsulates all this. Up here at the top we have this sign that represents God. It's a Greek letter theta. It's the shorthand for God. And down here is you. You're very small. You have really tiny legs. <laughs> and what you've got to figure out all day, every day, is what God is saying to you about what you're supposed to own, meaning what you're supposed to take responsibility for. Because there are some things that are yours. There are some things that are just yours that you've got to look after that nobody else is going to take care of for you. So, some things, it might even be things that God's not even going to do for you or even help you with. It's just the stuff you've got to own. So what's God saying to you about that? And what's God saying to you about what you're supposed to do? What actions, what behaviors, what habits should you put in place? Are there people that you need to reach out to? Are there people with whom you need to be reconciled? Is there anybody you've got to forgive? Is there somebody in your life that, that needs you that you're supposed to help. And then, what's God saying to you about who you're supposed to be or who you're supposed to become? I mean, what is God's idealized version of you? Where all of your gifts are vitalized, where all of your insights are dialed in, where you are behaving and living and flowing as perfectly as you ever could with God's help and for God's glory. This is this is how God speaks to us. This is what God says to us as God tells us about our responsibilities, about our mission, and our identity. God is speaking to you about you. What's he saying? Now, part of this relationship between us and God is that we are also speaking back to God. And we're asking God to own some things. There's certain things that you and I really can do very little about. If you have a loved one struggling with cancer, there's very little that you can do to fix that. And so you're trusting God, saying, okay, Lord, I, I leave that to you. There are some things that are God's responsibility. If you've got a, a situation in another country that you're deeply concerned about, war in the Sudan, Africa, starving children somewhere, there's very little that you can do. So you're asking God to take that 
to take responsibility for that. And then there are certain things that you're, you're asking God to do. When you need wisdom, when you need guidance, when you, understand, when you need understanding, you're, you're calling out to God, Lord, Lord I, please do that. Give me that. Provide that. And then there are certain things that you're asking God to be. We say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that the peace of God passes all understanding. You're asking God to be your peace in the midst of difficult and troubling circumstances. This is the kind of thing that we speak back and forth to God all the time. And this is the kind of open, intense relationship that God has designed you and I to share with him. It's the primary relationship in your life, or at least it ought to be. Because the trouble comes when we start looking to other people to supply information or inspiration that, that really only ought to come from God. And then we get this little problem over here. We have another little person. Let's not give them any legs at all just because we're spiteful and vindictive. They sort of have a hoof there, maybe a cleft foot. Anyway, the problem is we start looking to other people to provide this information. We look to other people to tell us what our responsibilities are. We look to other people to teach us about our identity and our mission. Sometimes they do that voluntarily. Sometimes there's people that want to control you. Sometimes there's people that want to belittle you or demean you or manipulate you. But more often than not, the great majority of people that surround us are at least mostly well-being, well-meaning. And so we look to them and, and we say, we, we give them this, this permission, this authority to tell us what we're supposed to look after or who we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to do. I remember when Carmel and I first had kids, there were all kinds of people around us that had really intense opinions about what Carmel should do with her time, about whether or not she should go back to work or take more time off, about whether or not she should be a stay-at-home mom or whether or not she should jump right back into the classroom. And it's funny how many opinions can, people can have about stuff that's really none of their business. People that aren't in our family, people that aren't in our home, people that sure weren't involved in making the children somehow felt like they had a vote that their opinions carried certain weight. And the truth is, you've you got to learn how to listen to all that and then ignore it. Because the only way those other people have that kind of authority over you is if you give it to them. People are going to try and steer you sideways. And what's worse is that even good people, I mean, we love them, we care about them, so, so we start to crave their approval. We start to search for it and look for it, and we end up chasing them. And I don't mean evil people. I mean, again, it could be somebody like your husband or your wife. You could feel like your husband was becoming distant, and you could start to search for your husband's approval. You could try and change yourself to become more pleasing to your husband. Change your personality. Change your habits. Change how much you work out, and you chase, and you chase, and you chase with no real guarantee that your husband is ever going to be anything other than an idiot. And what happens when you do that, when you start chasing other people, is you get totally robbed of the relationship that gives you life. 
See, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What things is he talking about? Love, joy, peace, patience, the power and the provocation of God's Holy Spirit, wisdom and insight, discernment for the future. But as soon as you stop pursuing God, as soon as you stop prioritizing God above all competing concerns, man, now you're just chasing. Could be chasing your spouse, could be chasing your children. Oh, I'm concerned about our son, don't you know? It's a big year for him. It's a significant responsibility. Going off to college, doing all these things. And so you chase and you chase and you chase, trying to make sure that your relationship with your children is vitalized, but all you're actually doing is chasing them away because you're smothering the people you love because you have just put them in a position of godlike authority over you, and they can't handle it. They just can't measure up. It's funny because at the beginning of a relationship, we often want to be chased. That's the classic boy-girl story, right? Girl shows up at the dance. She acts coy. The boy, like one of those Warner Brothers cartoons, you know, turns into a little hound and starts chasing after her, writing bad poems. And the chase is part of the excitement of romance. But, you know, after a year, a couple years, ten years, all that chasing, all that hounding... It's tiring. It's smothering. And so the sad reality is if you're always chasing after people, they're not going to get closer to you. You're pushing them further and further away. Placing the heavy burden upon them of telling you what your responsibilities are. Of telling you what your mission and purpose in life is, of telling you what your identity is. And a lot of times, they're really happy to do it. They're really happy to carve out for you a perfect life for themselves where you play the role of servant, enabler, supporter. And so you got to ask yourselves again and again and again, is this really the person that should have that kind of power? Of course not. Of course not. Of course, it works in the other direction, too. Sometimes there's people in our lives, and we try and control them. We try and constrain and conform the people around us so they're perfectly suited. This is always a temptation for people in positions of authority or leadership. We work really hard here to make sure that when we work with people, when we work with volunteers, that what we're trying to do is help them grow into the perfect version of themselves for God's glory. But sometimes when somebody comes to you and they say, oh, man, God's really put it on my heart, you know, to open up a homeless shelter, you're like, that's so great. But what I really need are more ushers. <laughs> See, anytime you're involved in a relationship with somebody else, whether it's a leadership relationship, whether it's a pastoring relationship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's friendship, you, you've got you to gotta think first about what's best for them. And the only way you can identify appropriately what's best for them is if they are dialed in first to God. See, we all got to prioritize this. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, if you're in a relationship where you feel like the other person is drawing away, you want to get closer, kids, friends, coworker, spouse, whatever, you might go, well, Dave, how does this help? 
If I keep looking after God, how am I ever going to get close to them? Well, the truth is, if they are also looking after God, if they are also prioritizing this relationship, then the distance between the two of you is going to lessen over time. You're going to get closer and closer and closer as you both pursue God. Of course, if you're not both pursuing God, you won't get any closer with them. But you're not going to get any closer with them by chasing them all over the planet either. And here's the sad reality, man. You cannot control people. You cannot fix people. You cannot force people to behave the way that you want. No amount of dancing around or finagling on your part is all of a sudden going to make them love you or make them draw close to you. You've got to put the first things first. And the first thing you've got to look after is your relationship with God. Now, that's not going to make you selfish. That's going to give you the power and the wisdom and the discernment to make sacrifices for others. But those others always have to come in line under your relationship with God. This, I like this scripture in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. This is my new preaching Bible. It's got chalk dust on it, and it has only one verse highlighted. Here it is. <clears throat> Our purpose is to please God and not people, for God alone examines the motives of our hearts. Please God and not people. Even good people. Even people that you love. Because when you put the priorities in the wrong order, you end up idolizing people. That gives them inappropriate power and influence. And that means you're going to end up serving two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. And you just can't do that. Again, the problems always deepen when the desires of others for us and from us get in between God's desires for us and from us. And once you realize this happens, you've you got two things that have to happen. Number one, you've got to realize in your own heart, it's, it's time for you to repent. Now, the word repent literally means turn around. So if you're looking to other people to supply what only God can provide, you've got to turn around and reorient your life back towards God. That's repentance. And if you realize you're putting all kinds of pressure on other people to look to you for that kind of authority, again, you've got to repent and reorient yourself back to God. Seek first the kingdom of God, and these other things will be added to you. It doesn't mean that those other things are wrong. It just means they've got to come second, third, or tenth. Now, what's trickier than repentance is once you realize that all these other people are putting their nonsense on you, is you got to rebuke them. You heard that word before? It's a good church word, rebuke. Literally, it means to smash logs. Smash logs. It's a really exciting phrase to say. You go ahead, try it out. Smash logs. Look at how happier you got. It's amazing. Smash logs. Now, you imagine, when would I want to smash logs? Well, if you're blazing a trail to get from point A to point B and you've got to go through a forest, you know that there's going to be some logs, some trees that you have to cut down. There's going to be some brush that you've got to clear out of the way. In order to get from here to there, you're going to have to remove those obstacles. That's what it means to rebuke. You are removing the obstacle of other people's influential opinions and decisions about who you are and who God made you to become. Sometimes they'll come at you to limit you, to control you, 
to manipulate you, and you got to smash their logs. When I was a kid, I was remember, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, something like that. My mom was talking about something she wanted to do at the church, and she was all excited about it. She's an interior designer, and I think it was some sort of, you know, grand redecoration or something, and I was mad. I was like, hey, you can't do that. You got to, you know, come home and whatever, you know, be with us. And my mom said, David, I rebuke you. I was like, you can't rebuke me. I rebuke you. I'm your kid. You can't rebuke. I rebuke you. <laughs> she was smashing my logs. Because I was getting in the way of what God had called her to do and who God had called her to be. It's not that she didn't love me. It's not that as a son I didn't have the appropriate rights to make requests of my mother. It's not like it's ungodly for a mom to spend time with her kids. No, of course not. The truth is just that she had her first responsibility to be faithful and obedient to God. See, God's talking to you right now about the things in your life that you're supposed to take responsibility for, the things in your life that you're supposed to do, the person in your life that you're supposed to become, and a lot of times you just don't want to listen. Because a lot of times we actually like having other people be in control of us. It absolves us of our responsibility. A lot of times we like exerting our will and our control over other people because then they create less stress and drama for us. But God is not trying to diminish your stress. God is trying to grow you up so that your capacity to handle stress increases. God wants you bigger and stronger, not simpler and whinier. In order for you to get there, you got to grow. And that means the people around you got to grow too. And a lot of times we're faced with really difficult circumstances and we're not exactly sure what to do. The stakes seem very, very high. And if God doesn't answer right away in the way that we want, well, then we start listening to lesser answers. We were reflecting on this in between services and earlier this week, and I was thinking about the story of King Saul and the spirit of Samuel. It's a very strange story. King Saul is a Jewish king in the Old Testament. And on the evening of a great battle, he began to panic. He faced a superior fighting force and was going to be absolutely destroyed unless God helped him. So Saul went through all the normal avenues that you would go through to try and get help. He made offerings to God, and God didn't give him any answers, any wisdom, or any insight about how to win. He consulted the priests and the prophets and the oracles but God didn't give him any insights on what he had to do in order to win. So Saul took matters into his own hands. And he went and visited a witch, the witch of Endor. And she consulted the spirit of the deceased prophet Samuel. And Samuel comes back from the dead and figures out that Saul has short-circuited the process of listening first to God because he didn't get an answer in the time that he wanted, and he was scared about the consequences. And so Samuel rebukes Saul and prophesies that he'll die. It's a very strange story. But the point is this. When we're scared, we get impatient. When God doesn't answer the way that we want in the timeline that we want, then we decide it's no longer worthwhile to put God first. And we can even go to good people and godly people and ask for their advice and ask them to insert themselves in between us and God. 
And sometimes all that demonstrates is that we're just not waiting, not listening, not trusting. Now, you're probably not going to go to a witch this afternoon or consult an oracle. At least I hope you don't. That would be weird. If so, feel free to email Ben this week and tell him all about it. <laughs> but the truth is that our problems seem so big. Like, what if we don't get our marriage fixed? What if we don't find a job? What if our kids don't walk the right way? What if we don't finish college? What if we don't find somebody to meet and fall in love with? Our problems seem so big that we go, well, I'll just, uh, I'll just start looking for other people to help me out. And it's not that other people are wrong or misguided. Again, this is about seeking God first. You can seek the wisdom and insights of others, but not at the expense of seeking God. And if you become impatient with God, if you become frustrated with God, you can become disappointed with God, and then you stop seeking God, well, now you got a big problem. Now you got to recognize that you've got no hope without him. Because that's what we're talking about. All last month, all the months to follow, we're talking about hope. The energy for living that comes directly from God. And hope is made of desire and vision and agency. It's the belief that you can have a future you want with God's help and for God's glory. And we've been talking about knowing what we want. Today we're talking about knowing what God wants. And what God wants without question is to be first in your life. And when you put him first, everything else will fall into line. Amen? Lord, thank you. Thank you for the teaching in your scripture, the words of the prophets and the epistles, the apostles. Lord, we need that stuff in us. We need that stuff planted in us. We need that stuff to affect our mind, to affect our decision-making, to affect our hearts, to affect our ambitions, to affect our affections. So we ask, Lord, that your spirit would quicken us, convict us about the changes we need to make so that we can move forward with you. And we ask that we would become more open and able to hear from your spirit so we know what our responsibilities are, what our purpose is, and what our identity is in you. We pray these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.